0: We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly Din, Dilly Don. Come on.
1: Into a and up. i so sorry. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Curnine. Joining us for this episode is David Cellini, UEFA licensed coach and assistant coach at IFK Varnamo who play in the top tier of Swedish football. So a while back, David's posts got my attention on social media, not just sharing exercises, but explaining why and where they fit into the thinking of both the staff and the game model. And it's rare to find that today in that level of detail and context. So I wanted to get him on the show to talk about training methodology. We go through quite a bit of video, which is brilliant, but because video and podcast don't go together so well, I cut some of the video out of this podcast episode. There's about 20 minutes more. If you enjoy the interview here, you can get the full video on modernsoccercoach.com website. It's absolutely free. I just cut some of the footage that you would probably need the video along with. So if you want to watch the whole thing, head over to modernsoccercoach.com. When you're there, there's also plenty of new content up there, some free eBooks. We've also got a special offer coming Black Friday, November 25th, 2022. We're going to 40% off everything on the website. So... When the US are playing England, head on over to modernsoccercoach.com shop, and there's plenty, a plenty, plenty of special offers on the website. We've also got a new book coming out soon, Scanning Exercises. Please check that out, modernsoccercoach.com shop. Massive thanks to Keyframe, who we're teaming up with for these interviews. We will hear from Keyframe in the midway point. Thanks so much for the support. As always, here is David. Enjoy.
2: David, thanks so much for joining us today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Really, really excited to have you on. Welcome. Thank you, Gary. Uh, I've been a I've been a fan
0: uh, over the years, so it's happy. I'm happy to be on, and uh, hopefully I can uh, share some inspiration for for people listening or or watching.
2: Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I really appreciate that. And just before we start recording, there I, t- I said that. You know your 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 Twitter is is one of the is a hidden gem. Like for me, um, not a lot of coaches are. I don't know if they're allowed or or even just the general environment today of sharing stuff on social media. You're putting stuff out that's. You mentioned the word context before we start recording, uh, and what I love about your account is you try to provide context about how you work. So it's not just this drill or this exercise. It's where this exercise fits in what you do and why you do it. So that's why I wanted to, I really want to get you on today and talk specifically around training, but also how training is aligned to preparation, game models, philosophy, and, and all those things. The first question I wanted to ask you was how would you describe your philosophy uh, or your attitude towards training? Tell us a couple of things that what training means to you and, and where that's come from. Yeah, sure
0: um, we uh, we because I, I, I'm gonna say we a lot because we work really as a, as a team me and me and the head coach for us it's uh the, the training week will basically be about creating as, as good conditions as possible for the players to improve within our style of play but also as individuals so we see training as the as the most important part of the week and that sounds weird because we need to win games and and all, all that sort of stuff but if we can create good, a good training environment we believe that that can over time provide us with the sort of performances and and the sort of improvement that we need to be successful so we had a if we take a sample this season we had a difficult start in terms of, of points but then we felt we were playing well and that came from training well we felt and and now in the in the second half of the season we have been winning a lot of points and and that I think it's based on how the players uh, how they approach training every day. And that's based on the environment we have been able to create together with the players. And And then the, the training is based on all the time finding stuff in games that we see, OK, we can improve on this aspect and we can improve on that. And then it's about showing the players in video meetings that we we felt we can do this better or we believe this was good, but we can do it even better. Or this was really bad and we need to improve. But then not just leaving it with with the players saying we need to be better, but actually then planning sessions that provide them with the opportunity to actually improve. So we show that we are in it together. Like they are performing on the pitch, but we need to create the conditions for them in training to actually go on and perform. Uh, so I would say train. It starts with training, and and then obviously ends with the game. But it's it's uh, it's so important to to everything we do. That my my approach is, has always been that the the training week needs to prepare the players to perform in games in the short term but also the long term so it's i I can't overstate the the importance of it
2: we're going to look at some some clips around session design and for anyone that doesn't have the visuals we're going to put this on on youtube so people can have a look the first one that i thought was really really interesting um it's a passing exercise for a warm-up and talk to me where this would fit in in a training session like what would it be the start would it be the middle would it be the end and, and what the objectives are yeah so basically uh, our periodization
0: model for how we train in a week we we uh, normally train uh, every week we will have two double sessions and one of those double sessions will be a technical session in the morning and this would be a, an exercise from one of those technical sessions where we just basically work on In this one, uh, running past the last line of defense and then certain movements to to get beyond the the defensive line. And we're working on the relationship between the ball carrier and the the person making the move in behind. And obviously then finishing at goal. So that would then be something we do in different ways. I think in this session we then went on to, here we're working in the final third, but then we do the same thing for defending the box, for example, working with the defensive players. Uh, and it's about them getting repetition on certain technical details of the game, but still doing it in in this one. We add the mannequins for context that they, you see those runs, they either run close to the defender to then open up space to get the ball on the outside. Or they, they uh, start wider to maybe attract the defender to step out. And then you want to attack the, the space through instead. Uh, and that would be the relationship between the ball carrier and the and the runner that we could get in an, in an 11v11 11 11, because we do 11v11 11 11 a lot we have one day when we do two double uh, when we make a double session and in the morning we play 11v11 11 11, in the afternoon we play 11v11 11 11. but then you may get into those positions four times here they will get a lot of technical repetition but also yeah what do you call it uh, movement repetition as well so they And they also work on their relationship with their teammates in third-man combinations, but also just playing one, one player on the ball, one player running. So it's about creating repetition within a context that is based on how we want to play, but they still make the decisions on which movement they make, and that's why they have to work on the relationship part as well. So we're not telling them to, now you're just running like this, and now you're running like that, but they work together to create that, that situation. And it could be me, for example, as a coach, I could be the defender. So they would work against me and would have to adjust to my movement. So I, I would open up the space through myself and a mannequin. And then, okay, so how can they then attack that space? But it could also be me closing that space. And then I need to be able to play on the outside. So in, from an unopposed practice, because I'm not trying to take the ball, it's still unopposed in a way, but they still have something to, to uh, adapt to in a way. And something that that uh, they have to take into account when they when they go. So it's about getting repetition within a, a tactical context, really.
2: Yeah, this con this concept of arguing opposed versus unopposed. I think it's there's a there's a gray area in the middle where yeah, you're explaining there. It's it's unopposed, but there is context around types of pressure or maybe a decision based on this here type of context? And thats is that what you're trying to create when you're designing it?
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's why we do it in this way, because then every player will make... They will get into those situations a lot. We can control how often they get into them by planning the length of the session and how long we will do this particular exercise, for example. Whereas when we play 11 v 11, we get all the context that we will get in a game day but we cannot control how often a certain player will be in the final third, because when they play 11 v 11, it could be one team just pushing the other team deep all the time. And then it's difficult for a winger to work on those types of runs uh, in like, more than maybe three or four times, but here they can do it 30 times in in uh, in one session. And then that hopefully becomes easier for them than in the training 11 v 11, in the in the match 11 v 11, And also it creates, and that's a big part that I didn't mention, but we want to create a common language for the players so that when we get to the game, they will recognize what their teammates are doing and then, then they can hopefully find solutions on the pitch that could look like a creative solution, but they will have done that a lot and they will recognize the movements of each other. So a striker will know when when a certain signal for, from, a, from a player in a crossing position, he knows, OK, now I need to attack that space because the ball might come in. Then the the player still makes the decision if the ball is played or not. But we want to create that language for the players that they understand that, OK, if if player A is doing this, that it means poss- it is a possibility that this could happen next. And by doing these exercises, I think we create or we try to create a way for the players to, to have this common language developed and also to build relationship in between in, in amongst each other
2: yeah it's fascinating that something that i'm i'm really intrigued about when i watch football today is that is that these these cues and these these decisions that people are making at the top level in the final third so much of it goes down to timing if kevin de bruyne is whipping a ball and you you're talking the baseball pitch in terms of the timing and the the, the time someone has to react and someone has to know that's coming. But at the same time, as a coaching community, we're almost in this freedom of attack, freedom. of. But yet there has to be a certain amount of structure around that common language, doesn't there, in order for people to know when, especially in the wide areas, when things are going to happen. Yeah.
0: And and I, and I think that's the that's the difficult part, that we don't want to have a, a play that is so structured that it's, uh, predictable, mm. but it's still it should be predictable for our players what's going to happen uh, in a way. So the opponent it's going to be it, ha- it has to be difficult for them, but it also has to be easy for our players to recognize these cues that that you're talking about. So maybe maybe Holland and and uh, De Bruyne will have that when he moves the ball in a certain way, then you know that with the next touch he might swing the ball in, but the defender will not know that. So you have an advantage of an an extra half second or something to react, and that's. Sort of what we want to create as well that we can uh, that the players can recognize these sort of sort of details in the game that are so subtle that it's impossible for someone who's not in it to maybe recognize exactly what's going on. But if we can create a situation where the players from having done it in training a lot, then can bring that into the game and we get results from it, then that there's nothing better. So th- it's still about allowing them to be creative. But it's providing solutions different like different options they could choose, but the decision still remains with them. and if if we have practiced three different options and then they in the game choose a fourth one, then that's fine. Like, mm-hmm. they have all the autonomy they need, but we feel it's, an, it's necessary for us to create some sort of common, common uh, language in the ideas we use, and that's the structure bit, but within that structure, they are free to. To uh, adapt to each situation as they see fit.
2: Fantastic! I love this. Um, quick one for you: Whenever you're doing the, you know, two two double sessions, uh, multiple times a week uh, during a season, is like you don't hear that a lot today. And how much of a conversations are there through sports science with the type of activities that you're doing? Explosiveness there in that exercise for a technical day is that is that a lot of emphasis on that those types of conversations?
0: Uh, to be honest we uh, we are a really small club we basically only have two people working full-time on the on the football uh like the really football side of the of the, of the club it's it's me and the head coach and then we have play people helping out with uh, some strength work and, and some conditioning like that but mostly we do everything so we uh, we plan everything around the football and then uh, we talk with the players a lot so if they feel that that's if someone has a problem then we take them out because we don't want to create an environment where we train based on maybe the oldest player feeling stuff then we just take that player out and that's fine and then we work with the other ones who are ready to go uh, but of course during the season we can't do double sessions and it, it normally a normal week would be monday for example we would training in the afternoon, a normal session where we just play different types of games with a certain focus. Then the Tuesday could be a technical session in the morning and then a normal game-related session in the afternoon. And then on the Wednesday, uh, we, we call it the uh, Bielsa day because it's our version of of uh, murder ball. We play 11v11 in the morning. So we have a we have a video meeting. Uh, tactical focus could be pressing. Then we play 11v11 where we play Maybe four minute games. We could play eight games and it's uh, efficient playing time. So the ball will always be in play uh, for those. So it could be 32 minutes in the morning where they play 11v11 11 11 for 32 minutes sharp and the ball is always in there. It's very intense. They go have lunch. We prepare video as feedback on the morning session for the afternoon. And then we play 11v11 11 11 in the same way again. And we could adjust the time and. And could play uh, shorter games, could play fewer games, could play longer games, but shor- uh, longer games, but fewer. Yeah. So we could. That, that's something we can always uh, adapt to. And then we would be off the next day. We would train on the Friday. That's when we prepare for the game more uh, often. The day before the game, that's the first time we introduce the opposition by showing how they play and maybe do some tactical work in the training. And then we play the game, and then we're off again. So we prioritize having two off days if mm-hmm. we can and then we do double sessions on two days to still get a a lot of of training training hours on the grass but still allowing the players to recover fully mentally and physically on those off days so that's that that was what a what a week would look like but we don't have the issue or the help of a lot of people with lots of ideas so it's basically just us running it and then trying to along with the people that come in and help us for training create a situation where we don't create you know fatigued players or injured players and that that's sort of how how the situation looks for us.
2: Brilliant. Brilliant. Um moving on to exercise two. The, this is your cage defensive give Love this. Yeah. Talk to us about the same thing if if you wouldn't mind, objectives and what the thinking is behind it.
0: Yeah so basically this is a warm-up activity we we've used. Uh, it's basically getting them into the frame. So this would be another technical session where we would work uh, on defending the box. So this would be only defenders in this particular one. Uh, They, we we get to, we talk mostly about the intensity of of how they need to move their feet and, and be active to defend is something we use as a term. So they have to be really sharp when they move, move with intensity. So it's basically pressing, covering, it's stepping out from the line, and from that three v two, maybe creating a two v two, as you, as you saw there when he went on the central player. Uh, it's about adapting to where the ball is. If I can, if I decide to defend the central space and trying to force it to play on the outside, and then we try to overload or not overload, but when the ball goes wide, could we maybe go and create a two v two instead of the three v two like that, stepping up and so it's it's lots of different defensive principles, but mainly it's about creating the the, the big goal instead.
2: The cage, the cage feel. Even you know, like I, I love the the design around us. The just the mannequins of, like you mentioned, the mentality. But you've de- designed something around that actually looks like a cage. So cage mentality, yeah. defending. You know, a bit of creativity. I love it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's also a bit of fun for the players because it's it's it's. I think it's more. Um, it's more uh, inspiring for them to actually okay, I'm stepping into the cage now, I have to defend this, like, I, if I want to survive, I need to leave this cage without conceding goals, for example. Uh, rather than just having flat cones, and it's still open everywhere, and you would just say, okay, now you're defending this space. that could still be fine. But if I have the mannequins to use them, then why not try and really create that feeling of, of them
2: being locked in there and having to defend for their lives? It brings us along very, very nicely that we're weaving something in. So you posted about break passes, and I've I've never seen this type mm-hmm. of work done before, which is, and, it, and correct me if I'm wrong here, and just in reading and interpreting it, it seems to be a, almost a preparation pass for an outlet pass once the ball is won from a press to allow you to transition uh, quite quickly and effectively. With the ball under control.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's basically the first the the pass when you break the opponent's attack. Uh, so the first the first ball you get, if it could be from a from a, if they play a long ball and it's a it's a an aerial duel. If I can win that duel and put the ball down with control, that's the break pass, and then we play from there. So this one that you're running now is just a a, a technical exercise uh, where we. Work in pairs, and it's a competition between three pairs of of defensive players here, uh, where they uh, yeah they I think they have two touches with uh, among uh, between them maybe yeah and then they uh, one sets the other in this one and they can uh, then try and score in the mini goals and then they compete against each other and this is one we've done and then we I've posted a few more where we have uh, opposition as well so it could be one or two players in front of the mini goals that they try and block them. So you have to beat an, an opponent when you put the ball into the goal as well. We've also had it where, if they, again with defenders in front of the mini goals, if they miss that one, it becomes a three v two that they have to defend. So if they do not succeed with with the break pass, then they have to defend because that's the that's the big uh, the big idea behind all of this. Because if we want to be a pressing team, like we are, then a lot of the teams we play will choose to go long. So we bring higher up the pitch, will not give us anything because then we will have to defend low because it becomes a counterattack. But if we can put that first ball down with control to make the pressing action successful and we can maybe go, as you said, to then play a pass that can be the start of a counterattack or it could be just the start of a period of us keeping the ball and preventing them from, from attacking and, and, and us being in control of the ball then that's what we want to achieve with our pressing. Because I think most attacking players that would go and press high, if they consistently would, in a way, succeed with the pressing by forcing the opponent long, but still have to run back every time because the defenders give the ball away, Mm. then they would stop pressing because they know they have to run back. So it's, again... If we want to press, we want to be good in the pressing part, but then we also want to be good when we get the ball. So that first pass is crucial to create the conditions for us to then go and attack. And that's basically, the idea is both attacking because if that first pass is good, it can help us create an advantage against the opponent. Because they will probably be a bit disorganized and we have a chance to go and score a goal. But it could also be from a defensive standpoint that we want that pressing action to become a situation where we cannot concede a shot or, a, or even a goal. Because if we, as I said, if we give the ball away after that initial first, the high press, then it could be a chance against us. And and that's obviously something we want to avoid as much as possible. So it's uh, defensive and attacking thinking behind the, 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 the one idea.
2: That's yeah, fantastic. I love it. Um, I was fascinated by how are you are you tracking? Is this something that you've seen and you've kept track of? Is is there something that you've you've? Is it one of your KPIs in terms of analysis or objectives? You know, is it is it something that you feel you've got better than, or are you measuring it? Or how's that whole process? Yeah, it, it's uh,
0: when we break the game down afterwards. We uh, <clears throat> the analysis process is basically that we. We have some general principles that we that's included in the way we play, and then obviously we have uh, specific game plans for each for each game. And for every game we've ever played this season, we uh, we have gone out to press every team, regardless of if they were bot- the bottom team or if they were top of the league. We've tried to press them high for as much as possible in the game, and uh, we felt that we were getting better at the pressing bit, but we weren't as good in in getting the ball down and then playing with it. And that could be by players not back-checking after the ball was played past them and not helping out with that second ball. But it could also be those players that were responsible for the first pass, the break pass, that they weren't putting that ball down with as much quality as we wanted and then we weren't succeeding in the... In the uh, numbers that we that we would have wanted to in in terms of succeeding with with those press, high pressing high pressing actions, so I think it's something we look at every time, and every time we then give feedback on the high pressing to the to the players, then we will look at the specific situations that were good or or we feel we need to improve, and then we can easily see that our centre back, oh now you had three of these break pass situations and you completed all, and then the pressing is is good for us because we can then go and attack. But the other another defender might have given away too, and then it's easy for us to see. Okay, then maybe we need to work with him on that specific aspect of the game to help him improve and help the team improve and help us, you know, get get results in
1: the long run. Hello, coaches. We'll take a quick break here. Again, we are delighted to team up with Keyframe for these interviews. They've helped us out with the podcast. Also, teamed up with us on YouTube content. Massive, massive fan of Keyframe and what they do. Video is a great coaching tool, but Telestration has been proven to take video to the next level. It improves understanding, aids retention, saves time when you're coaching the players and using videos for your presentations. Telestration is normally very, very expensive and hard to produce. Keyframe Sports solves these issues Keyframe is simple to use, fast to learn, works with any video provider and is affordable. Please check them out, head on over to their website. The link is in the podcast notes, keyframesports.com. Back to David. Yeah, but even even from a focus standpoint
2: and and I'm putting my player hat on, which I don't do very very often, but if I'm training that aspect of it and and there's so and there's suddenly an importance placed or a or an emphasis on that break pass like, it's something that just gets overlooked so much. So, I, I mean, when I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, oh, why did I not, Why have I not seen the importance of this? But then I'm thinking if I was player working on that, I would, I would have so much more, you mentioned there, about checking shoulders and awareness. That would help me so much if I knew there was a, a premium placed on that first pass, once we regain it, has to be clean, has to be right, has to be high quality yeah and I think it's a massive part and and that's
0: that' t- tells you something about the players we work with every day that they are have such a drive to improve, and I think that's that's true of most footballers in the, in the world they they want to get better and they want to perform as well as possible because that will help them as individuals so now we we've had throughout the season working with this and and I think in a way showing the players the importance of of this specific detail of the game that we now have players actually practicing this after sessions, you know, by themselves. So they will set up mini goals and they will just go chipping the balls in and then they will head the ball into mini goals or they will go on the volley and that sort of thing to work on their accuracy in, in this part of the game. So that that's obviously the dream for any coach. You see the players then doing extra but working on such a detail rather than just trying to hit the crossbar or something. Uh so that's and that that could be fine too. That that's also good. But but um that's when you, when we feel that we have really gotten to the players and and them understanding why we place importance on on certain details.
2: You've been very very clear on those principles, and you've uh, worded that and and articulated that really really clearly and really really well. How much of a of a moving piece is the whole? Like, how much are you still? Kind of adding to this and still seeing little things and adapting, how much freshness is almost coming into the training sessions? You know, how's that process working out?
0: Uh, we we, uh, we evolve a lot, I would say. We, we try to find advantages in every game. So we believe, like, if when we have the ball, that how the, the opponent will try and defend against us it will open up different spaces. And then we need to position ourselves in certain ways to take advantage of their attempt at. pressing us for example Uh, and then every time we face something that we feel is maybe something we haven't prepared for because we haven't done it before then we find okay maybe this could be a solution against that sort of press for example or if someone tries to build up in a certain way then we uh, might might encounter a situation where our pressing doesn't really work because we haven't been up against that sort of of uh, build-up play before, and then we need to find solutions towards that. So I, I, I would say in terms of the training, it's very much driven by what we encounter in games and then tying that into the way we play. So if uh, we, we had an example when we played um, we played a team that was that was uh, dropping with players out from the middle. So it's basically playing in a ring. So they had like no central players and mm. Often you want to protect the central spaces, so we would have players in the centre but when they would drop in with players around, it was difficult for us to to press in a way because they kept they kept dropping with players outside our shape and it was difficult for us because we didn't want our midfielders to just leave the central space, to leave us exposed, so then we had a situation that we hadn't had before and then we started to think, okay, how can we deal with that in the future and then we worked on on that in a session, so it's it's very much driven by what we encounter in games and we see, okay, this could be a solution. This is something we need to to, to practice on. And that could be as simple as, as uh, changing the, the position of a wide player to play inside a, a fullback rather than outside a fullback. Or, you know, simple things like that. But based on what we see in games and how we feel we can improve and take advantage of a situation that appears. Because the next time it happens, we want the players to be quick to read off the situation and then go oh, they're, they're pressing with two strikers and two uh, wingers, really high. Then we know because we faced this last week and we've prepared on pre- playing against this. But now they changed and pressed with three strikers and then it's a different solution. And we might adjust our positioning to that. And we want the players to be in on that. And it's difficult because they are all, always always in it and it's also difficult for us to see. So then we can use the video to take stuff out and then put them into training sessions to work on it. And hopefully the next time it will be easier for the players to recognize what's going on. Uh, and some players are, are better at that than others. So they can be, we have one sender back who's brilliant at reading off what the opponent, how they try and press, whereas we have attacking midfielders who are brilliant at seeing how a team is trying to build up and how we might adjust our pressing to that. So it's about getting the players on the journey and uh, training is the the best way of doing that. So that's how we, would uh, fill the fill the uh, constant uh, evolution of the team mm. with examples from games
2: mm. what what where in a week do you put on your creative hat in terms of those exercises and then how much of it do you balance off of you, know, you do a lot of video obviously and and it's great looking at that there so do you are you a coach that spends five six hours reviewing video or are you trying to get ahead of it doing the right i've got a plan 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 or how, how do you balance all of that yeah
0: uh in, ter- in terms of how uh, the the creativity I, I think we try and do it every day because we uh, it's very like we do some exercises often but we we are constantly trying to come up with new ones because we we feel that as I said, if we encounter something new, we want to practice that, and then we might need to create a new exercise, and that could be starting from uh, if we want to build with two center backs and two uh, a, like a double pivot, then we might create a session around doing whatever we want to do with those four players, and then we could add fullbacks, and we can add tens, and we can add opponents, and from there we create a, a session uh, or an exercise based on something we want to practice. So, so it's uh, it's creativity every day uh, and then we, we use mannequins a lot as, as you might have seen in possession games and then we will position the mannequins in in ways to to make it uncomfortable in in some drills to make it uncomfortable for the players and make it difficult for them but in others we might put mannequins in the the shape that the opponent will use to press us and then how we we feel situations can occur in the game and then how we can can prepare the players for for certain situations. Then that, that could happen. Uh, so it's it's uh, we are create, try to be creative every day if we feel that we need to come up with something new. But if we have something that we that we can just continue doing, then we have no problem with that. So mm-hmm. so so that, that that was one part of the question. What was the rest of the the other part of the question was um,
2: how oh, how much do you spend like reviewing oh, every training session? Uh, depends on what we do in the session
0: when when we play 11 v 11 it's a lot because then we try and get give the players as much feedback as possible that could be we want to get better at doing individual feedback but that takes a lot of time mm. uh so that's something we we will try and structure it going forward because now we 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 give them a lot of feedback as a collective and within that obviously they are individuals so they get individual feedback but we feel that it's a great asset when we can sit down with with the player and look at certain clips Mm -hmm. and uh, we do that with some players every week and uh, that's sort of maybe one week we do uh, i would sit down with you and then the next week i would sit with someone else Mm -hmm. Um, but it would be beneficial if we could do that almost every week i think Uh, so that's something we want to improve on but we we spend a lot of time watching videos so from the games we we pick out so many details on every player on, in, and on the collective level. From training sessions, it's less individual, except for when we play 11 v 11. But then we might use video from training sessions to then show them in preparation for a game. So if we've seen something in an opponent and then practice that during the week, we can show the players that So this will happen tomorrow in the game, but we've already done it in the week. Uh, so you will It's just doing this again Mm. so it's a it's a lot of video it's a
2: lot of planning but it's uh, it's a lot of fun as well yeah brilliant Uh, last couple for you you mentioned there about you know like it it looks to be a lot of unit work and I, i love the double days and how you've broken that down but you've also mentioned there about the players having a bit of space at the end of sessions and how do you balance that giving them 15, 20 minutes, and and structure in that there, or less less structure and, and giving them more freedom. How do you give the? How do you manage their free time almost in the session towards the end? No, that that's uh, solely up to them.
0: Uh, I would say uh, we uh, we have one. It's not really a rule, but it's something we when we have uh, when we play, we're always off the next day, and then we tend to use the first session after the game to work on in some sort of possession games it could be usually starting with smaller games and then building up to a to a, to a bigger one uh, but we wouldn't do shots in that session uh to, to allow them to recover so in that session when we finish if they want to stay behind and do some break passes that's fine but if they would stand and shoot we would tell them not to do it because we want them to fully recover before we go into those sort of explosive actions uh but then otherwise like today we will play tomorrow so today after the session they are just allowed to do whatever they feel they need to get into whatever headspace they they feel is needed for the game so some of the players they, they stand around shooting some of the players will play some longer balls in between each other some players will We'll just uh, stretch and, and go in. Uh, so it's, it's very free. We don't structure what we do after the session. That, that's up to them. But we might tell them what not to do. We had a situation. It, it sounds ridiculous. But we, uh, it was last week before a game. We had some players shooting. As, as, just as, as I just told you. Because they want to shoot. that They were doing free kicks. And we have mannequins. But this was an away game. So we didn't have mannequins with us. And three of our starting players put themselves in a wall. Uh, ahead of <laughs> ahead of the goal, so they like yeah. So the the players shooting had three players in the wall, three players that were starting. So we had to tell them to yeah, probably not the best idea to, to be in the wall because what happens if you get if you get hit in the head for no reason? And also if the ball is traveling towards their head, we would want them in that day to just take that head down. Yeah. But then you're training a behavior. We wouldn't want them to. To use in a game. So that's that's the only time I think we've had to tell them, you know, stop, stop that. <laughs> uh
2: it's great to hear around the world there's always something. You talked a lot about philosophy at the start and aligning with Kim. Is that something that are you two are you two really, really close in your philosophies or do you work off of a little bit of differences in terms of he's more attack minded, you're more defense minded and it works like that. Or, or how does that relationship kind of work? Uh, I, I'd say we are very similar. Then obviously he's the head coach. He has
0: the one hundred percent image of what the perfect game looks like. So a big part of my job is is trying to keep up with that. And then when I watch when I watch a game, and I would know maybe ninety nine percent of of our style of play of, or his style of play, uh, but then I might not see something that he then wants to add. And then it's I need to. I need to spend time, when, when he's doing the analysis with the players, then I have to pay as much attention to what he's showing them as they do. Uh, because because I need to keep up so I can then also teach the players what we want to see based on what he's he's spotting in, in those clips. So we work off his, but my ideas are very similar. I've worked in a similar way. Uh, I've learned a lot in terms of, in terms of how he structures play in the final third, where he is uh, leading in 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 Sweden, uh, probably uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna big him up here, but I think he's one of the leading final third coaches around. Really, uh, the detail he brings and the how how good he is at working with with you know tiny tiny details is is uh, immense for me. Uh, so I learn a lot of him. Then I think we learn a lot together when we watch our game so we started the season having an idea of how we wanted to look like a pressing team but then we have added bits and pieces and changed to become a really flexible pressing team not just going ball oriented sometimes we can be more marking but sometimes it's like marking on the ball side Uh, sometimes we have center backs stepping out like stepping out from defense to to play against the against opponent midfielders if, if we feel that is is needed or we push fullbacks to go on, on the opponent's fullbacks even if that fullback is deep. Whereas in the beginning we were more like moving as a unit but then we felt in certain games we when we play the best teams that we might need to, to transition into a different style of, of, of pressing for example. So that's something that I work a lot with in terms of feedback to the players, in terms of coaching on the pitch but that's a joint process of how we keep developing that side same thing with build-up play. Same thing with the final third. But but he's still the one calling the shots, and I'm very much involved. And we, I, I get so much freedom to come up with things and do things and 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 uh, plan things. But still, from his mind, we have created a style of play that that I feel 100% on board with. And I had some similar ideas, but but now I feel like we're. Yeah, we're, we're very 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 like minded. So mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's uh,
2: it's a nice way of working. It's a it's a partnership. I'm really enjoying being in. Fantastic. And then, what are some what are some areas or or sources of inspiration outside your your environment at the moment that, that you kind of delve into for again those sources of creativity or maybe some ideas through that? Yeah, I, I personally, I, I love the uh, Serbia. Uh, I uh, I'm,
0: I, I've followed Italian football for, for my whole life, really. And, and I I've, I've heard of him when he was in uh, in Serie C uh, the first time. So I've watched clips of his teams, uh, you know, all, all the way ever since then, really. And uh, he's a big source of inspiration. I think uh, I watched them at the weekend against Man City. And I think there are, very, there are similarities between how they play and how we play, uh, which, which are quite uh, fun to see. I uh, I like to watch uh, what Ten Hag is doing with United now and with what he did with his Ajax team. Uh, he, I think he's a really interesting coach. Everyone, uh, I think, that are coaching today have some sort of connection and inspiration to what Guardiola has done over his career. So that's same with me when I started coaching almost a decade ago. It was, it was a lot based on what, what Guardiola was doing at that time and I followed through his development meant during the during the year so and and then a lot of italian coaches sarri was a big source of inspiration for me personally uh, and then you you see things from coaches that are maybe not that well known but they do interesting things it could be in sweden it could be in uh, in this in in italy but teams that are maybe like torino how they press udinese how they would defend low atalanta what they were doing so you get i get a lot of inspiration from all corners but i would say if i would pick Certain coaches, I would say those uh, the, those three that I said with the Serbi, Guardiola, Sarri and, and four with Ten
2: Hag as well. Mm. Uh, World Cup coming up. Any anything you're looking forward to specifically in that, or any one you're looking forward to specifically?
0: It's a difficult one because uh, I'm I'm Swedish, but my family is also Italian, and neither of my countries qualified. So so it's uh, <laughs> I ha- I have no I have no uh, personal personal feelings involved. Uh, I'm looking forward to see how uh, how Brazil are doing and Argentina. I think they uh, they look really good, both of them. So those are the two teams I think I will pay close attention to. Then it's o- o- always interesting to see what, what Spain and Germany and those countries are doing. And I've always liked Japan as well. So we'll see what they do. Uh, they've always had some interesting stuff, I feel. So it's going to be a good one. But Brazil and Argentina, for sure. Well, Brazil look like favourites,
2: don't they, at the minute? Yeah, yeah, fantastic, David. This has flown by. Um, thank you for doing it, and also, you know, on behalf of thousands of others, uh, thank you for for being a, a shining light on social media uh, in a really, really positive way, sharing ideas and and sharing that context that the football world needs more of, especially coaches. And I, I can't thank you enough. And keep up the great work. Finish the season strong and. Um, and thank you for, for jumping on to chat about it.
0: Yeah, thank you. Uh, and likewise, Gary, I've, I've always enjoyed the content on the Modern Soccer Coach.
2: So, so keep that up as well. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thanks, David. Top class.
1: Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Carnine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.